Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, where we go ad fontes to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is, as he has revealed himself to us. My name is Tyler, <clears throat> and we've been working on the book of Job for a few months now, and we're coming to chapter 11. But before I d dive into that, I wanted to let you know about a special <clears throat> episode that I'll be dropping next Wednesday. I'll be sitting down with some other members of the Truth and Love Network for what I'm calling a Corum Deo discussion. I'm quite fond of little Latin phrases. Corum Deo simply means before the face of God. And given some of what's going on in the world, some of what's going on <clears throat> on the world stage, some of what we're working through as individual Christians, um, we seem to be in a very similar place to where C.S. Lewis was in 1945, when he <clears throat> was working on what became known as The Weight of Glory, which is a series of messages that he gave during World War II, one of which was entitled Learning in Wartime, which was responding to questions he got from students at, I believe it was Oxford. Um, why should I keep going to college when Europe is at war? <coughs> And likewise, I think we are in a spot where Christians are wrestling through what obedience looks like. What does it mean to follow Christ into an uncertain future? And so, I'll be sitting down with Rob Knipe and some other members of the Truth and Love Network, and we're, we're going to talk about that. We're going to have different views on the end times, but we're not going to debate the millennium. We're talking application, orthopraxy. We're talking how to follow Christ in an uncertain future when he prepares a table in the midst of our enemies. It's going to be good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We'll be going live this coming Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, be looking out for that, and it will be on Rumble. You know, Rumble is the home of Bread of the Word and shall continue to be as long as they allow us to exist. <laughs> But without further ado, let us dive into Job chapter 11. You know, we started chapter 11 last week with the introduction of Zophar, the third of Job's friends in this long dialogue. And 
The challenge that I've had with Zophar is he says a lot of good things. I'm liking what I'm seeing from him so far. If we can divorce it from the context, that what he has to say is much more impactful if we can separate it from Job. <clears throat> because it's not applicable to Job. And in some ways, it's very accusatory to Job. But just looking at it from its merits, there's some good things that he has to say. And that's been the challenge, is to really grow with these texts, we almost need to separate it from the context a little bit. <clears throat> and so, picking up in verse 7 and going through the verse 9, we have a question. Joe is full of questions. But verse 7 asks us a question, Can you fathom the depths of God, or discover the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth, and wider than the sea. That's, that's our text this morning, <clears throat> is those three verses. Starting off with the question, can you fathom the depths of God? So what are what is the what is the depths of God? Let's 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 consider that for a moment. <clears throat> can you fathom the depths of God? We we see a lot of talk in the Old Testament poetry about deep things or high things, about this expanse as a testament to things that are beyond our understanding. It says in Psalm 139, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. But you also have Psalm 148, which says, Praise him, ye dragons, and all deeps. So the question of, Can you fathom the depths of God? points us to this expanse, this, the fact that God is not like us, but that there is a very real separation, maybe not in presence, but in ontology, that God is different from our being. That God is not just a human being in a different place. God is a different being entirely. <clears throat> and likewise, I think Paul alludes to this at the end of, towards the end of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11. He essentially ends with a doxology. <clears throat> it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> and so the question that is posed to Job is, can you, human being, fathom the depths of God? Or, second line, discover the limits of the Almighty. And that is a strange phrase, it seems, for us. I've, I wrestled a little bit on <clears throat> what to do with that line. Because the King James is a little different, and it says, can you 
discover him to perfection, which is different. But from what I was able to dig into with my limited understanding of Hebrew and the plethora of translations I have in my home, I found that King James is the only one that puts it that way, but every other translation puts it as the limits of the Almighty. <clears throat> and this is a word that is used frequently in the book of Job. We'll, we'll come across this word again. But without trying to preach the dictionary, <clears throat> the Hebrew word that we translate as limits, it has a certain nuance to it, that it's, it's bigger than what we have one word for. And so when we say limits, we're talking outermost boundaries. We're talking something very deep, intimate knowledge of. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? Can you get to the end of who God is? Essentially is who this is. What this means. Can you search God unto perfection? <clears throat> but notice, he says, of the Almighty. Once again, we're using that Hebrew name, El Shaddai. This, he doesn't say Yahweh. That's not a very common name of God used in this book. But we do have, from Job's friends, frequent use of El Shaddai, which, again, I think points to this being a very ancient book, that this is probably something before Moses, because God revealed himself to Moses with the name Yahweh, which means I am. <clears throat> but he revealed himself to Abraham and people in that period that God made himself known to was largely through Elohim, which is just general God, and then El Shaddai, which means the overpower. <clears throat> but with Job's friends, that also implies the, for lack of a better term, the bigness of God. <laughs> this idea that God is bigger than us, that he is more powerful than us. And with Job's friends, that is almost a scary statement. That's not so much a comfort that they're giving to Job that he is El Shaddai. It is, you need to get right with God because you have grieved El Shaddai. But the question here is, <clears throat> can you fathom the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty. Can we get to the bottom of this? That is the question. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God has made all things beautiful in its time, but it also says that he's put eternity in our hearts, <clears throat> that we cannot know what will come after. <clears throat> One of the key themes in Ecclesiastes that I love so much is the fact that we can't know everything. There is a constant theme in Ecclesiastes that we are prevented. In some real way, we are prevented from knowing everything. That God has kept certain knowledge from us. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything appropriate, this is CSB, in his time. He has also put eternity in their hearts but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. 
<clears throat> That's a statement. That there is quite a bit we can't know. This is this is how Salman likes to talk, is that we are prevented from knowing these things. I'm Ecclesiastes seventh I mean Ecclesiastes ten. We have I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 11, I got mixed up. It says, Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. That seems like a, like a well-duh statement, but it, where a tree falls, it lies. <clears throat> one who watches the wind will not sow, and the one who looks to the clouds will not reap. Okay, so what does that have to do with trees? Well, we have patterns in nature but one who watches the patterns in nature will miss other things that we can't focus on at all and then he says just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman so also you don't know the work of God who makes everything We can't know everything, and that's okay. <clears throat> we can't know everything because we're not ontologically equal with God. Because in the substance of our being, we are not the same as God. Can you fathom the depths of God? No. No, we can't. Verse 8, they are higher than the heavens. <clears throat> what can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Psalm 139 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take on myself the wings of the morning, even then shall thy hand lead me. We cannot escape God. We can't run from it. We can't fight it. God is an inescapable reality. It's not just a thing. God is personable. He can be known. And one of the things that he would have us to know is that we can't get away from him. He is a necessary experience. He is higher than the heavens and deeper than hell. <clears throat> the depths of God is beyond our comprehension. He is so big, he is so grandiose that we can't get it worked out. <clears throat> um, Chesterton once wrote that people in his day were seeking to get heaven, get their mind, minds into heaven to find some sense of ascension of intellectual ascent but the poet the artist gets tries to get heaven into his mind and is shocked that the mind is what splits <clears throat> and we can take that and we can apply that 
outside of Chesterton's book from 1905. We can take that out of orthodox, his book Orthodoxy, and we can apply that just to ourselves. That we often are inclined to try to get our head into heaven, or to put heaven into our minds. <clears throat> and when we try to cram all that in here, it doesn't fit. And then we're surprised when it is the head that splits, not the heavens. We are far too pleased with ourselves sometimes. <clears throat> so the depths of God are higher than the heavens. Which is to say, beyond what we know. Alright, the concept of the world in this Old Testament period, you had the earth, you had the firmaments, you had the heavens. There was no concept of anything beyond the heavens. And so we are essentially saying he is higher than what we know to exist. <coughs> he is deeper, he is lower than what we know to exist. That people in this era held hell to be the very bottom of the physical world. That you had the you had the earth, you had the pillars of the earth, and then you had Sheol, which is old, the Old Testament word for hell, for the grave. <clears throat> and so for God to be lower, to be deeper than that, is to be higher and lower than all that we know to be true. It says in Nahum that the clouds are but the dust of his feet. This is the God of the book of Job. The, the incomprehensible God. The unfathomable God. But yet, <coughs> this same God has been pleased to reveal himself to Job and to us. Let's go, let's go back to Job chapter 1. Verse 1, there was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the east. <clears throat> we skip down to verse 6. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. So God asked Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one on earth is like him, one who fears God and eschews evil. <clears throat> the God who dwells in the heavens, who the sons of God all present themselves before him, and even Satan himself is bound to appear before him. This God 
knows of Job. And Job knows of him. Even though the depths of the the depths of God <clears throat> are beyond our knowledge. Verse 9, their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. This God has made himself available. <clears throat> Job sacrificed to him. Job prayed to him. Job communed with him. Even though he could not fathom the depths of God. And yet God had communion with Job. There was not a one-sided transaction here. <clears throat> but Job had union and communion with God. And we, as believers, have union and communion with God through the person and work of Christ. <clears throat> Christ prayed in the garden for us to be one. For the church to be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. That we would model that. <clears throat> and so God, who is beyond our comprehension... Not only does he beckon us to come, as we have seen throughout Job thus far, but he's also right there with us. My favorite psalm, my favorite chapter in the whole book of Psalms is Psalm 130. <clears throat> this is what's called a psalm of ascents. This is part of a, essentially a mixtape. That Psalms 129 through, I believe, Psalm 132. I'm sorry, 134. These form a group of psalms that were sung out loud, that were prayed and meditated on, as people made pilgrimages in the Old Testament to Jerusalem for the various feasts and temple practices. So when they were going up for the feast of Passover, when they're going up for Passover, these are the psalms that they are praying and meditating on during their journey to Jerusalem. And they cover a wide variety of feelings and experiences. <clears throat> I completely butchered the, the list there. It's Psalm 121 through 134. It's bigger than, I'm sorry. It covers a wide variety of experiences and feelings and desires. And Psalm 130 deals with what comes to mind as you draw near to the temple. To the dwelling place of God, as they understood it in the Old Testament. The covenant center. That has weight. And Psalm 130 is birthed out of that weight. It opens up with the line, Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. 
Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. As, as the Hebrews would gather to the temple, as they would be marching to Zion, metaphorically speaking, one of the many songs on their hearts was about calling out to God from the depths. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ear be attentive to my pleas for mercy. And see, the God who dwells on high is available to us in the depths. <clears> that the same God who is exalted above all the nations in Psalm 113 is the God who is available to us in the depths. And just like Job, we have access to him. <coughs> Job asks God a lot of questions as he tries to puzzle through why things are happening. Why are you doing this? I, I don't understand. And it's easy for us on the outside to say, I would never say that to God. But at the end of the day, he is still seeking God. It may be in a vernacular that I wouldn't recommend, <clears throat> but he's still seeking to commun commune with God. When the claim of Satan was that he would curse God to his face. This is exactly what Satan in the beginning said he would not do. But Job, in the utter darth of low thoughts, and questioning God's goodness, his fairness, his sovereignty, <clears throat> of, of questioning the freedom of God to be God, Job continues to seek God. And perhaps that is what we should get from the book of Job. That if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. <laughs> and as we transition in the coming week, I invite you to ponder the, the unfathomability of God, the incomprehensibility of God in dialogue with the fact that he has made himself known to us. That even though God is, <clears throat> the depths of God are beyond our knowledge. It is higher than heaven and deeper than Sheol. We also have, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things are created. And nothing that has been created apart from Him 
was created. In him was light, and that light was the life of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overtaken it. <laughs> there was a man who came to testify of that light, named John. But he was not the light, but he pointed to the light. The light that was coming into the world. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the one from God. <clears throat> Despite the fact that God dwells on high, that he lives in a high and lofty place, he is available to us, that he has made himself known to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. <clears throat> the God who dwells on high is accessible to us. Not because of our own merit, not because of our own goodness, but because of his own love. His own good pleasure. <clears throat> And with that love, he went to a cross, and he suffered and died. And he bore on his shoulders the weight of the just punishment that should have been on us. And by his wounds, we that believe in Christ are healed. Reflect on that this week. Thank you for listening. This has been the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is a podcast ministry striving to feed people the wonderful words of God, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, striving to let the Word speak for itself. This ministry is also a member of the Truth and Love Network, a diverse fellowship of fellow podcasts of different theological backgrounds united in the gospel of God. For more from the Bread of the Word podcast or the Truth and Love Network, check out the links below and follow us on social media. Until next time, God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.